Father, we thank you for this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for your presence right now. We thank you for your love. Lord, may we know that love and may your love overflow through us, Father, into the body. Give us your heart for your body. Give us your heart for your body that we wouldn't see with our own eyes or imagine with our own minds, Father, but that we would love them as you love them. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> I got nothing to say. Um, what a battle this has been for me today uh, to be up here. Um, I've been feeling kind of ill all day since 3 this morning, and... So it's been a battle, and that's a good thing because that means the enemy's not interested in this. So uh, I, I'm Stephen Burke. I live in Temple a couple hours up the road, up I-35, and um, I used to have a normal life. I used to work in advertising and public relations. I did that for almost 20 years. Had a human being for a boss, and, uh, and then in um, 2004, April the 9th of 2004, the Lord asked me to quit my job to start a ministry in Guatemala, and that's where we, it began. We were planning churches and leading mission teams, kind of normal ministry stuff. And I was learning to hear his voice, learning to walk by the Spirit. Learn, you know, He would say, go to a particular country, and I would go. I had no clue why I was going. I didn't know anybody there, and just stuff would happen. And just, you know, when God sends you on assignments like that, there, there's nobody else to depend on but him. And he shows up. And so when, you, when you're hanging out with a supernatural God, I always say this, supernatural stuff happens. That's his nature. That's the way he is. And so it's really awesome to walk with a God that is so awesome. And, uh, but in 2008, uh, the Lord, um, what happened was I had a friend that uh, had breakfast with this or actually had met this pastor. And he just really felt like I needed to meet this guy. And so I had breakfast with this guy, this pastor, and, and normal conversation. We're just chitting and, you know, chatting or whatever. And, uh, but at the end of breakfast, as we're walking out of this restaurant, this pastor just, he's in front of me and he just spins around. And he says, the Lord is going to start giving you details of the end times. And, you know, I said, well, thanks for breakfast. You know, what do you say to that? And so the very next day I was in a meeting and uh, there was two ladies there and this good friend of mine. And one of the ladies starts talking about how, um, like, uh, kind of conspiracy stuff, like the, the vapor trail behind that plane, that's not really vapor, that's poison, that's stuff like that. And I'd never heard that before. And I'm listening to that, and I just started to pray. And I just said, Lord, what am I doing here? And all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord just fell and I just started having open visions. My eyes were open, and I just saw this stuff play out in front of me like a movie. And they were just, they were just snippets of movies of things that are coming to this country, to the United States. And it absolutely freaked me out what I was seeing. And at the end of this two hours, um, the main thought in my head was, how does this nation get from where we are now to what I just saw? How is that even possible? And so that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the shift out of, not necessarily out of Guatemala, but, but basically into what he has me doing now, which is he sends me all over the world to connect with people who he is speaking to about their role in the end times. 
and all of this, this 10 days movement, all these movements that God is doing are end times moves. These are all things that he's doing in preparation for the return of his son. And he is, through what is coming, will prepare the bride to be beautiful for this wedding. That's what it's all about. It's all about a wedding. Even Jesus' uh, language as he spoke things at the Last Supper and such, everything is pointing to a wedding. And we are, this, we are going to be an absolutely magnificent bride worthy of a beautiful son, uh, you know, groom. We are so going to be there. And so this pressure that is coming, this stuff that I saw in this download, I call it a download, um, is all part of this process of getting to that place of a wedding and his return. So one of the things that... Uh, I started to understand is that God was raising up cities of refuge around the world. And I'm not, I, even though you say cities and people talk about this in, in the terms of cities, it's not necessarily a city. It can be people or place, I'm saying places within a city like homes or caves or farms or whatever. There's all kinds of, they look, they look different in all kinds of shapes and sizes or whatever. Um, but at the heart of every one of these places of refuge is a place of prayer. Because it's the Lord who's going to protect us through this. It's the Lord who's going to provide us through that, provide for us through this. He is the one that is going to give us daily direction as we move through this time of incredible, unprecedented pressure. It is a global pressure. It's not just about the U.S. It is global. And, and so there are places across the world. And, and there is such a plan... Uh, let me just say, what I understood at first was that believers were going to be persecuted beyond what we've ever been. That's what I understood at first. And, and as time went on, God sent me to Alaska, and I was up there ministering, and, and I end up uh, with this couple, uh, well, a group of people, but I'm sitting across from this couple, and he's a bush pilot and his wife. And I'm talking to this guy, and and all of a sudden, the Lord shows me this guy, and I said, the Lord is gonna is going to be sending you on missions. And I see you flying your plane out of Alaska. It's nighttime. I see you flying like treetop level across into Russia. And you're not supposed to be in Russia. God, but, but God has uh, people working with you in Russia and they've actually plowed a runway for you in the snow. I see you land your plane. You turn it around at the end of the runway and you just wait. And after a period of time, you determine that nobody saw you. And I see 12 people Come up out of a bunker, they run across the snow, get in your plane, I see you fly out, still nighttime, treetop level, across into Alaska. And I said, the Lord is telling me that those 12 people are Jews. And that's when I first heard about the Jewish piece of this. That was back in 2008. The download for me was April of 08. This was in the summer of 08, like June of 08. And so God started immediately putting these pieces together for me, started just walking this out. And one of the, one of the big things is when you look at Jeremiah, verse 23, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verses 7 and 8, it says, So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, As surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he, has, where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. 
So basically what the scripture is saying is that right now we're saying, man, how great is our God that brought the Israelites up out of Egypt across this, what, 125-mile desert to the land, right, to the promised land. But we're not going to be saying that. We're not going to be like how awesome Moses is in all the movies and all the stuff that we've seen that in that. It's going to, there's a time that is coming. We're going to say, how great is our God? that brought the Israelites and their descendants from wherever they live in the world back to the land of Israel. Because they're going to be coming thousands of miles. They're going to be coming across mountains and oceans and rivers and deserts and all kinds of terrain and persecution. But they are going to make it to the promised land. And I want to say that Ezekiel 20, verse 38 says that they're not all going to make it, that there's going to be a lot that are shaken out. They're all going to be shaken out. But it says that those who rebel against the Lord will not enter the promised land, will not enter the land of Israel. That's, gonna, that's the deal. And so the numbers that people have heard, as I've walked this out and I've, I've run into different, all kinds of awesome people that have heard from the Lord in this, the numbers that people are talking about are in the mid, you know, 60, 66 million people, of, or Jews, let me say, that are coming back to the land. And if you recall the history of Israel, you start looking at, you recall after King Solomon died, they, they had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and Israel splits. The northern kingdom, you had the ten tribes. And eventually the northern kingdom begins to uh, turn away from God and start to uh, you know, offend God. And what did God do? He allowed the Assyrians to come in, take them out. And these ten tribes of Israel are dispersed into the world. And they're known today as the, the lost tribes of Israel, right? And then the southern kingdom, you have the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. A little bit of Levi, but Judah and Benjamin. And what happens to them? They start to follow, the, follow suit, and they are misbehaving. They've turned away from God, and, and the Lord allows the Babylonians to take them. They're in Babylonian captivity for a number of years, and eventually they start to move back into the land. And so this is not an absolute, but basically the Jews that we know of today are the Jews from the southern kingdom. Because the, the scriptures say that the ten tribes out of the northern kingdom are gone. They have been dispersed into the world, and they basically assimilated, and they look like whoever they look like. Only God knows where they are. But the southern kingdom, you start looking at it, they're pretty easy to identify. You, start, you go to Israel, and you see Jews all over the place, the Orthodox or whatever, all kinds of Jews everywhere. And, and they're pretty easy to identify. But the, the thing to remember is that the Lord says in, in Jeremiah 30, verse 3, that he is going to bring Judah and Israel back to the land. He's bringing all 12 tribes. So, so the 10 northern kingdom tribes are also coming back. And what do they look like? Who knows? What, what are they doing? Who knows what they're doing? But the Lord himself knows these people, and he's going to bring them back to the land. He's the one doing this. Not a human being, not me, not any man. God himself is orchestrating this and doing this in the world. So I'm going to tell you a story about me, a personal story. So a couple of years ago, I was maybe longer, three years ago, I was in Colorado, and I was passing through the state. I was going from the east to the west, passing through a town called Alamosa, Colorado. And I was on my way to Pagosa Springs, and, and I'm, I'm coming through Alamosa, and the Lord just breaks in, and he says, I want you to stop and buy something with the name Alamosa written on it. Yes, sir, right? So I stop at a Walmart, and I got this pennant, it, and it's like a triangle thing, you know, that's, and it says Alamosa. I think it's Fighting Moose is what it said, like a high school pennant. 
And I take it with me, and I go on to the west side of, of, of Colorado, and I'm meeting with some people, and, I, and I'm visiting with this guy, and, this, and I said, do you know anything about Alamosa, Colorado? He says, absolutely. He said, it is, it is, there is a group of Native Americans out of central Colorado and northern New Mexico who are known to have Jewish DNA. What? You're kidding me. And he says they're known to be alfalfa farmers. And let me say this. My mother is from northern New Mexico. And her father, my grandfather, their first language at home was Spanish. That's what they spoke. I, I look like my father, not at all like my mother. And, um, and he raised alfalfa. And so that struck with me, right? That was three years ago. And so last summer, my sister calls me, and she lives in Northern Virginia. She gives me a call, and she says, you know what, Steve? Have you ever considered getting your DNA tested? And I, yeah, you know, I've thought about it. She says, well, I want you to do it because I want to know what my heritage is, and I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> That's a good sister, right? So I call. I, I, I agreed. I, okay, I'll do it. And so I, do my, I get my DNA tested. Ancestry.com is what I did it through. And I get my results, and I find out that I'm 18% Native American from this tribe out of central Colorado and northern New Mexico that is known to be Jewish. Do I look Jewish? No, I don't look Jewish. And what was so incredible is after that, I, well, and I also find out that I'm 1% European Jew, and I'm also like 18% Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain, which is, I know that, my, that's where my grandparents, my mom's parents are from, that's their heritage, and also Native American, I knew that too. And, um, and so one day, I, I was like, Mom, do you, what do you know about Alamosa, Colorado? Do you know anything about it? She says, absolutely. She says, your grandmother is from there. And that's why God wanted me to stop. See, God knows where the 10 lost tribes are. And he knows who they are. And when God raises up this banner in Israel saying, come home, they're going to also, I got to go back to Israel. They're going to have it in their heart to go back to the land. That's what he's going to do. So I got to, you know, about... Uh, the Lord, I've been doing this for 10 years, right? And this is what I do full time. Cities of Refuge, the Underground Railroad, my, that's my job. God sends me all over the place. And I meet some cool people who just love God and will do whatever he asks them to. That, that, that's the awesomeness of this. And, but he had never sent me to Israel at all. And never at, until in, in 2016, I was speaking out in California and this guy prays over me at a church I was speaking at, and the Lord had me do an altar call. And my wife was there, and she rarely travels with me, but she was there. And, and the Lord, while I'm ministering, as they come for, uh, do this altar call, the Lord says, have your wife come up too. So I'm like, Connie, you need to come up and stand here. So she stands here, and she has never done this in her life. But people started lining up in front of her for prayer, and she's just like, God bless you. You know, she had no idea what to say. She's just doing what, you know, she sees me doing. And, but afterwards, this is why I think she was there and the, why the Lord called her up is people had some prophetic stuff for us. But this one guy comes up and he says, I have a short word for you. He says, the Lord says he's going to heal you and then he's going to prosper you. And what this guy didn't know is that was July of 2016 is August of 2016. I was going to have surgery for a little uh, basal cancer on my face. Not a big deal, but I, that was, I had four spots on my face, one on my back. So I was about to go through that. And so I did do that in September of 2016. The Lord blesses my family personally. And we paid off our house. 
for a guy that, you know, the guy, God asked me to quit my job in 20, in 2004 to start this ministry. He said, never ask for money. You just go where I send you. I will take care of you. So for a guy who doesn't really have a real job working for a real human being, God's awesome, right? And so God paid off our house. And the next month, I get a phone call to speak at a conference in Jerusalem. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, it's time to go. And so I get to Jerusalem. And let me say this. All these years, I never really had a heart for Israel. I never had a heart for the Jewish people. I never did. Even though I knew what I was doing, I knew that I had this calling on my life, but God had just never put it in me. So I go to the land, and I speak at this conference, and, and the very day after the conference, the first day after, I'm at the house of prayer, and there's like three people that are talking about going to the Western Wall, and I've never been. And so I'm like, you know, can I go with you? I invite myself with them, and yeah, let's go. And so we start walking out, you know, toward the Western Wall, and they decide they want to go get coffee. And I'm like, I am so not going to get coffee. I don't drink coffee for one thing, and nor am I going to sit in a coffee shop when I'm in the land. Are you joking? Right? And they've been here a million times. Two of them actually live there. So, so I was like, I'm going to the wall. And one of the guys says, well, I'll come in about 45 minutes, and I'll find you on the pavilion above the wall, and I'm going to take you for a tour of the old city, personal tour. I said, awesome. So I go to the wall, and I'm sitting down in, in front of the western wall. First of all, the first thing I do is I go touch it. Because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm here. There it is. And I touch the wall and I see the prayers all folded up and stuck in the crevices. All the stuff you hear about. And, and it was awesome. And I, I grab a table. They have these desks on wheels. And I, I grab one of those and I sit in a chair and I open up my word. And I just, I'm in the word and I'm just seeking the Lord. And all of a sudden I feel the hand of God reach in. I can't even describe it, but reaches in through my head and into my heart. And he is in here tinkering inside of me just messing with me, and I am weeping. I'm just bawling like a child, and I can't control it. I'm just crying and crying, and it went on for 20 minutes, and in the middle of there, I said, Lord, what are you doing? I said it out loud, and he never answered me. He just kept working, and I didn't understand what he was doing to me, and 20 minutes, and I'm thinking, okay, I got to go meet this guy, and so I get up, and I walk out, and I never found the guy, but this is what God did. A week later, I'm back in Texas, and I'm usually, especially I was gone for two weeks, I'm usually pretty happy to be home. This time, I was so depressed. I got home, and I was miserable because my heart was still back there. And I had to be here. And my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. And about two weeks later, I'm speaking up in Arkansas. And... I'm sharing where I'm at, just this depression, this sadness, this intense sadness that's on me. And I don't understand it. And, and this lady at the end of the meeting raises her hand and she says, I have a really good friend that same thing happened to. She said, and she was, Lord, I want to quit my job. I just want to move back to the land. I don't care what you have me do. I'll be a janitor. I'll do, I don't care. I'll do whatever you want me to, but I want to live in the land. And the Lord came and spoke to her. And he says, you've been waiting three weeks to go back to the land. I've been waiting nearly 2,000 years. And all of a sudden, that just pierced my heart, right? And I'm sitting there whining about two weeks. And the Lord's been waiting ever since he left. He has wanted to come back for his bride. And he's waiting on us. 
the bride to be prepared for this wedding. He's ready. He's, he's wanting to go, but he can't come back until his father says, go. And he has no idea when that's going to be. And that's the way it is with a Jewish wedding. It's the same thing. The Jewish boy falls in love with a girl, and whether the father picks him or the, he picks him, whatever, falls in love. And he goes and he asks the father's permission, can I marry your, marry your daughter? And, and here are the terms. They come up with some sort of a contract. They call it a ketubah, right? They go through that whole process. It's like, and he, and, and, and he you know, the father agrees. Eventually they agree to the terms and, and the, the son um, comes back and he asks the daughter. And what they do is they take a glass of wine, a, a goblet, and they fill this thing with wine. He says, would you marry me? And gives her this glass of wine. And if she takes the wine, and the second, let me say this, this wine touches her lips, that is a yes to him, to his, to his question. And she takes the wine and drinks it, right? The Last Supper just speaks. There's so much there. And she drinks it, and, and he's like, great. And he leaves, he le the, the ketubah stays there, and he leaves gifts with her so that she will get to know him better, right? She'll, she'll know him better and be able to prepare for this wedding, right? And so he says, well, I go now to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Because that's what he does. He goes home, and he builds a room on the house or whatever they're going to do, wh however it looks. And he, but he goes back to his father's house to prepare the place where they're going to consummate the marriage. That's what happens. And, and so while he's gone, the bride is at home. The bride-to-be is at home. And she is, she is um, with the gifts that he's given her, uh, something else that happens is the, the bridegroom sends back uh, like a really good friend or family member back to the bride so, to tell her all about him, more about him, so she would know more about him, like the Holy Spirit, right? I go to my father and I send back the Spirit to teach you about me. That's, I mean, it's all there. And so what happens then is the, eventually what happens is the, the bride Immediately, let me just say this. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little... Um, but what happens is the bride um, gets a veil. And everywhere she goes in town, she wears this veil. Basically, I'm spoken for. I, I don't have eyes for anybody else, and I don't let anybody have eyes for me because I am, I've got a man coming that's going to marry me. That's what we should be. We should be so focused on our groom that's coming. And so this bride... Every night she goes to bed and she takes off the veil, puts it on her like her nightstand and, and she has a lantern and she sets it there because she doesn't know when he's going to come back, night or day. So he sets, she sets the lampstand. The bridesmaids, part of this wedding, have lampstands too and they set them by their bed and they're prepared, they're ready for whenever he comes back. And then one day, the father of the groom at the house that he, where the, the groom is preparing this place, he comes to his son and he says, he says, it's time, go get your bride. And he's excited, right? And he gets his friend, let's go, we're going back. And they start heading back to town, whatever time of day or night it is. And they're heading back to town. And as they get close to it, they stop and they shout and they blow a trumpet and the bride and the bridesmaids wake up, 
they grab their stuff, they get their lantern, they come in and they swoop them up and they scoop them up and they take them back to the father's house where they have the wedding ceremony and they go into the father's house, the room at the father's house that has been pre prepared for the, the bride and the groom to consummate the marriage. Man, alive. I never knew this until last fall. And a friend of mine tells me, I'm like, because what happened, my daughter got married in September, our youngest one. And it was such a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful story of what happened with her. And I was, I was telling my friend about what, what all happened, the miraculous way in which my daughter met her husband and all the stuff that happened. And it was so beautiful. It was so tender. It was so full of love. And this man starts saying, he starts telling me about the Jewish bride and groom and how it happens. What? Why doesn't the church know this? There's so much that the Western church, and I, I'm, not, I'm not being critical, but we haven't been taught things of Scripture that are absolutely really real. We don't see the things that God is doing in the, in the context of the Eastern mindset. We don't. The words that Jesus spoke, the things that happened, the things that happened there in Israel are things that that we don't totally understand because we're not of that mindset. But I've been praying over the years. I'm like, Lord, I want to know the mindset. I want to have the Jewish mind. I want to see what they saw and hear what they heard when Jesus spoke things. I want that. I've always wanted that. God is faithful. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. God has called you into end times ministry. Everything, we're here in the end times. This is end times. One of the things that I always talk about is, is in the download, one of the things that I saw was that food goes away. This, the electricity goes away in this nation. And the stores close, and people start to freak out because they can't just go to the store and buy food anymore. And, and I see this field of people out somewhere, this tremendous large group of people, and they are absolutely freaked out. They are panicked people. And I see myself walk out on some sort of a platform in front of all these panicked people. And at the top of my voice, I yell out, everybody calm down. And I'm waving my arms like this. Everybody calm down. God has prepared us for this. And the people began to calm down. And some of them began to filter off into the underground. And I knew, because the underground is for God's people. The underground is how God is going to get his people, his 12 tribes, from wherever they are in the world, back to the land of Israel. Because the persecution is going to be there. Just like it's, well, it's going to be there. And I knew that these, all these panicked people were righteous people who should have known but they didn't know, and God brought them into the underground to take them back to the land. And let me say this. At first, they were going to be a burden to us in the underground, but eventually they were going to adjust to this new way of living, and they were going to become an asset to us in the underground. And that, you know, I only have 20 minutes, so. Steve, Stephen. Yeah, um, yeah turn it on. Um, can you just, uh, praying for the peace of Jerusalem is not just about blessing Israel. 
there is a, an awakening of the Jewish people, yeah. how else is God going to get their attention yes. without dealing with the idol of mammon? And most probably, and I'm not saying thus saith the Lord here, but if you put two and two together, there is a financial judgment coming at some point. And it is going to create massive changes and will most probably awaken and move the Jewish people back to where they're going to be. Can you just testify yeah. for a couple of minutes as to some of your experiences with the people that you've met that... Um, that are preparing these safe houses, yeah. that are getting these words from the Holy Spirit, and how you go around <laughs> the world lifting up their arms. Well, um, so I don't, I don't, you know, it's funny. They find me, and, and I find them through divine appointments. It's, it's unbelievable what God does. And it's really cool because he, that he signs his name on everything. And I've, I've been in, so I, I'll just say I was... Uh, <laughs> I was speaking in Kansas City one time, and there was a there was some people in the back of the room, and they were they were uh, doing a they had a booth or something. And after I was done, I went up to them, and the Lord, I mean, I just saw them, and I said, "Where do you live?" And they told me where they lived, and I said, "Well, I need to come to where you live." And I wasn't inviting myself; it was like the Lord, and and, the, and this they were like, "Yes, you do." They knew they knew it, and so I go up to their place, and they have like 40 acres. A land, and they eventually, as time went on, they they give me a they take me for a ride, on a like a what do you call them a like a motor motorized vehicle kind of deal, like a golf cart, but it was it was four wheel drive like a farmer would have, takes me to the back of the property, and there's this cluster of trees, and and we're, I'm like where are we going, you know, and it's it's just an agricultural field, but I, we go back into the back into the cluster of trees, and there is a set of steel doors in a mound under these trees. Open the doors, there's a second set, open that, and I go inside, and it is a concrete, 4,500 square foot underground bunker for the Jews that are coming through that part of the country that God has told them to build. I've been in England. England is hot too. I, I, I love England, and, I, and I've been there several times, and, and God has, uh, wow, let me let me think about this. So, there there is like a, in the in in the, I won't tell you where it is, but it's in the middle of the country, and it's out in the country, rural. And there's this massive home. This it's like a, one of those quarter mile old English homes, you know, you see that are so long. We, that's what it is. And they have acreage. They have a number of acres, and uh, the Lord is speaking to them, especially the wife who is who is. Giving, presenting the ideas to her husband who's really not into this at all, but he's doing the things that she is seeing the Lord tell her to do because they're, they make sense financially for them to do it. So they're on solar, they're building, they, on their property, they've built all these little homes on the back of the property for, that they can rent out because they're in that kind of part of the country where people want to come to for vacation or whatever. So they built all these things, and she's like, it is not for that. It's for the Jews as they pass through England. It's, there's another lady from England who has a place uh, in another part of the world, um, Spain, I'll say. And in that region, she has this massive house. And, it, and she rents it out for like $4,000 a week, American. And she shows me this, these pictures of this place. And 
Um, it's gorgeous, gorgeous. I mean, a massive pool, all that. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a resort kind of place. But she says, let me show you something. And she pulls out a, a digital camera and these other pictures. There's a massive underground to this. It's for the underground. And there are people like this all over the world who are doing these things in preparation for the Jews. And I got to tell you that there, there is going to be an unprecedented harvest that comes as well. There is going to be, I've, I, personally, the Lord has shown me stadiums that I've seen them where they're just filled with people. And, and God himself is calling them to the stadiums. They're not, they're not coming for some name. Oh, Billy Graham's here or whatever, you know, that, they're not coming for that kind of a deal. They're coming because the Holy Spirit is drawing them to these places. And there's going to be these no-name prophetic evangelists who are just going to speak what they hear God saying, and the harvest is coming. There's going to be massive stuff going on, massive, you know, it's the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's, it's going to be awesome. God is going to glorify his name, but at the same time, it's going to be difficult, Right? We're going to see people raised from the dead. We're going to see limbs grow out. We're going to see multiplication of food. We're going to see bitter water made sweet. We're going to see all that stuff. But in order to see somebody raised from the dead, you have to have a body first. Right? In order to see a limb grow out, you have to see somebody's arm is severed. We're going to see stuff we don't want to see, but we're going to see God be God. And he is going to glorify his name. And all of us are going to say, God did this. God brought in this harvest. God brought healing to the land. God brought the Jews back to the land of Israel. How great is our God that brought the Israelites from wherever they lived in the earth and their descendants back to the land of Israel. That's what we're going to be saying. And we're going to be rejoicing. And there's going to be new movies and new TV shows and new heroes that God is going to raise up in this time. But it's going to all be about his name. It's always about his name. He kicked them out because it was about, they were defaming his name. But he brought them back, and he's going to bring them back to glorify his name. Amen. Um, hallelujah. So, um, Stacy. Okay, so uh, let's just take a, a quick bathroom break, and then we're going to, um, um, we're going to invite Matt. Sorry, David. We're going to invite uh, Matthew Rudolph is here with us as well. He's another uh, um, Jewish believer. Uh, we're going to just introduce him, and then we're going, to, uh, we're going to go into some questions and answers. Just want to encourage you. There are lots of questions that we have in the church about this restoration, about the uniting in the family, about the end times. Um, so we want to set Matthew's... Uh, Matthew Smoller is coming up here. We're going to set up like a little panel and just want to encourage you to fire the questions away at us and let's get into some hearty, meaty stuff. So let's take a quick break. Amen.